Welcome to Enid Monthly In-Depth, the podcast with Enid people for Enid people. This week we have on local entrepreneur Sal Alvarado. From coming from Mexico as a child to owning a successful small business now, Sal has a lot of great experience and advice. Listen as he talks about getting a degree while being married, working for other local small businesses, and his journey to finding his own American dream. As always, pick up a copy of Enid Monthly Magazine all around town, like our Facebook page, and visit EnidMonthly.com for more great content. Here's Sal. Hey, Sal. It's Robert Falk, and uh, I'm here with Sal Alvarado. How are you doing? Doing great, Robert. Thanks for having me. Well, good. Hey, really, uh, just really appreciate you doing this, and I'm really excited to talk to you. We talked a little bit about entrepreneurism and uh, starting your own business and that kind of thing, and uh, I just really get into it. Are you, uh, are you ready? I am. Let's go. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, I always like to get to know people a little bit about where they came from, where they grew up, and just uh, how they got to Enid. And uh, so, uh, did you? were you born in Enid, or were you born somewhere else? No, I was... Born in a small town called Acatic, Jalisco in Mexico. Okay. It was New Year's Day, 1980. I was seven years old when our family moved here to uh, actually California. Mm -hmm. Spent a few years there, moved up to Oregon. And then in Oregon, I did my high school years. And as soon as I graduated, I followed my parents who had already moved here to Enid. And for me, that was about mid-summer of 93. And ever since then, Enid had just been my home. And about how old were you when you were uh, in 1993? That's a good story we're going to get into. I was roughly ever at 19. Okay. So you'd already graduated high school? and I did. In or- And was that in Oregon? In Oregon. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming to Enid is a, is a uh, massive change from California to Oregon, right? It was a shock to come to Oklahoma where I wasn't familiar with flat lands. Mm-hmm. I mean, not even until high school that I got to understand and go out to the mountains and got to see the sea, um, Aloha, Beaverton, Oregon area. So to come into Oklahoma and just see flat lands, seeing wheat, it was just totally different. New. I remember, I don't want to say culture shock, but it was just different. Mm-hmm. Did you, and uh, you went to college, right? I went to college here in Enid. Yes, I looked up my transcript to be sure I knew the dates. It was 1994 when I started um, here at uh, Enid. Okay. Did you do something in between work or did you go straight from high school to college? No, I came to Enid. As a matter of fact, um, I love telling this. Ken's Bakery. That was my first job here in Enid. You say Ken's? Ken's Bakery. And uh, from there, immediately, um, I started working at El Chico's which is another beautiful story where I met my wife there. I was a dishwasher. She was a hostess. It's just chemistry made. And ever since then, we've married 28 years. Nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you, you worked for Ken's Bakery. What was your job there? Uh, 19 years old, just starting getting a job anywhere here. I was, you know, flipping burgers, just cleaning bakery, uh, making bread, doing the dough, just getting involved in anything that had me doing. Entry level kind of stuff. Exactly. And, and working your way up. Exactly. Uh, and uh, at some point, why did you decide to go to college? You, you, I think... From what I remember, you're the first generation. Your parents didn't go to college or anything like that, right? Yes, and our family uh, was the first one to go to college. I just always had it in me that that was just part of the puzzle that I needed as growing up. That was the next step. And I went to college here, started in 1994, I believe with just two classes. And I just loved it. I mean, it took me seven years to get my degree. Mm -hmm. Uh, One is because you work. We were, had a family. I got married, and we had children, and it just became you know, challenging. So it just took me a little time, but it was so proud when I did get my accounting degree. So you were a, a non-traditional student in that way, that mm-hmm. you were at, at the age to start at 19 that most kids do around that, mm-hmm. uh, but you had a family and, and all kinds of other things going on, so you were going part-time uh, and working at the same time. I did, Robert, and my wife and I discuss about our time is bad thing because we forget she would work weekends only, and so she would be home with the kids. So in between, I would go to work. Advanced food, that's where I was working at that time during my college time, and they were so flexible with me. I was doing accounts receivable, a lot of data entry stuff. So I would go to work like three hours, go to school for another three hours, and then I would come back in the evening to do you know finish off my data entry job. Mm-hmm. And it was just really flexible, and it just allowed me to just put in the time. Well, and which, uh, which college did you go to? Phillips? Here, no, sir. Um, I started going here at Northwestern. Northwestern, okay. Mm-hmm. NLC. Uh, and that was when they, uh, back in 94, was about when they first kind of started, right? I believe so. 
Yes. And is the reason why you chose NOC is because you were here? Is that? Oh, absolutely. One, it was affordable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was very affordable and it was just here. I mean, it was easy to get to school at that time. It was like a five minute drive to the college and then thereafter to work. Um, so, I mean, affordable at that time, we worked. We just knew that was part of, we just accepted that that's part of what you do. Not to mention advanced food did supplement um, as long as you got decent grades, you know, they would pay like 50% of our school. Oh, wow. Because they encouraged, Yeah, you know, people to keep growing. Well, that's really cool. That's, uh, uh, it's really nice when employers are able to uh, help their people uh, get educated and, and uh, better their uh, circumstances yes. in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you went to NOC, you got your uh, two-year degree, your mm-hmm. associate's degree. What was your associate's degree in? Just general business, I believe. Okay. Just general stuff. And then you did the bridge program over to NWOSU and yes. finished at Northwestern? Yes. And I love this. You know, along the way, as, as, as we keep talking, I want to talk about some of the mentorships that guided me to where I'm at today. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a, my manager at that point, I was getting a business degree. And she's like, Sal, you're good with numbers. Um, an accounting degree will open more doors for you. So that's kind of the direction I ended up doing, and I finished my accounting degree here. Yes. Did you uh, did you really enjoy numbers? I do. Numbers seem to be kind of come easy to me. I'm able to retain them and look at them, and it just kind of makes sense. Um, so I was able to do that. I was doing the job before the degree. So Advanced Food had a lot of mentors that guided me into progressing into my career from accounts receivable, uh, accounts payable, to uh, operations accounting, and ultimately I was a controller at the Philly division. Okay. Uh, and so whenever you were moving up, was that still while you were in college? Yeah. That was the whole time. Mm-hmm. Well, that's pretty interesting that you got to kind of use some of the stuff that you were learning in college and then also uh, take some of those real-world experiences in college and use those in class, I'm assuming. It was exactly that. One of the, that I call the coolest part, is that in college I learned to write better. So... It would allow me to just be more proficient in my communication in, in paper since you just don't write like you do talking. So I just my former education was allow me to just be more effective at the job that was at. Okay, uh, you said that while you were uh, uh, while you were young, then you met your wife at, at El Chico's. Yes. <laughs> All right. Tell us a little bit about your wife. My wife, um, she it was just one of those things. It just made sense. We had immediate chemistry. I mean, I love talking about our story that we met, let's say, at the end of September. By January 1st, 4th, rather. Correct, I just screwed that up. Our anniversary, <laughs> I think it's January 2nd, rather. 28 years we've been married. Mm-hmm. So it just made sense. We had great chemistry. We got married, and she was in a nursing program at that time. Um, so now... After 28 years, now she's a nurse anesthesia. So the same thing. We both kind of have stair-stepped and took support in each other. So is she got her associates, her on RN degree at that time. And then I went and got my associates. She got her bachelor's. I went and got my bachelor's. We just kind of supported each other. And then I got my business, and then she went back to go anesthesia school. And during this time, you had kids, right? During the time, we had a growing family, three kids, and they're about 18 months apart, so it's you know, quite a balance. What, uh, tell us a little bit about your kids. Oh, my kids. They're amazing. They're uh, Thomas Alvarado. He's a UCO right now. He's doing great. He's trying to figure out what he's going to do, but um, he's doing great in school over there, just loving the college life. My middle child, Matthew, is married, is happy. He's in California right now. The same thing, trying to figure out his direction. Uh, well, my daughter is 25, and she's a registered nurse here at Bass right now. Okay. Well, uh, both of you going to college at this, uh, you know, uh, uh, during that time, raising a family. I'm sure that there were other challenges. Uh, I mean, in a new marriage, young young marriage, young, uh, just at the time. I mean, that must have been really difficult for you guys. It was difficult because we were providing for ourselves we really have have no help and just one thing i love about our story is that we were so happy with what we had we were poor but we didn't know any different um so we i would work cummins construction as well before i worked at advanced food i'm like 50 60 hours a week well my wife when i was going to school and when before i was my turn to go to school so we had, I mean, she would literally on Friday hear the kids, they're fine, it's your turn, I got to run to work, 12-hour shifts, weekends. And that would just allow us for us to be with the kids all the time. Um, so balancing work, balancing school, balancing children, and a little fun time in between, it was challenging. 
Well, it would have been pretty easy for you guys to say, well, I, we, I just can't finish college. I mean, I'm, you know, I've got a good job. I'm moving up the ranks in advance. Uh, I just I just can't do this anymore. I, I'm just going to focus on my job. What, what drove you to finish your education? I think that's just something that I wanted as part of myself. I wanted a formal education to say I want to be the first in my family to finish an accounting degree. Um, I want to know that that opens a lot of doors uh, at that time. It just wasn't easy to get a job anywhere at a higher level without that four-year degree. And it was just something that I can say to my children. I did it. I did it while balancing the family life. Um, and then now with them, they know it's something that's, I encourage them to be part of our lives, either college or trade school, just something formal education. After you graduated from college with your accounting degree, mm-hmm. most people would go in to work for an accounting firm or something of that mm-hmm. nature. Did you do that or did you stay with Advance for a while? Advance was really good to me. You know, we a lot of people that work for Advance Food Company say tremendous good environment at, at that time. And not to mention just the people you worked for. Uh, not mentioned just the Allens, but again, the, the management style was so conducive. So I just, I loved being there. I just loved being there and the mentorship programs that my supervisor at that time, Robert, there was, you have your credibility. It's all you have when you do accounting. You know, you put out a product. He always just says, I'll look it over. Look, something's missing in that part. Instead of just being a supervisor, he, he was a mentorship. So I, I just thrived in that atmosphere and we just did really well. Well, good. So how long did you stay there? 12 years. After you graduated or total? Oh, I beg your pardon. Um, I started in eye sanitation, the very entry-level position, and I was there 12 years when I left as part of the accounting group at Philly Division for Advanced Food. Now, during this time, you, uh, just because I know your story, that mm-hmm. during this time, I know that you were uh, dreaming of owning your own business. Is that right? That's kind of always been, you know, the bucket list. That's always been the, the, the inspiration, what's next. And I did um, after 12 years of leaving Advanced Food, because it was just that time to move on, um, I literally took like six weeks hiatus, just enjoyed hanging out, doing what I liked, until my wife said, um, it's time for you to figure it out. What's your next thing? You go find a job. And she said that. I mean, she is my motivation, who said, Sal, you always wanted to your own business. Figure it out. And that's what that frame really comes from, that f- phrase that she said, figure it out. And uh, so I put an ad in the paper, local individual seeks to purchase established business. And I got four phone calls. Do you mind what the phone calls were, who they were? No, I, I love this. Um, I received one for Paradise Donuts at that time was for sale. The UPS store at that time was for sale. Um, CNC dry cleaning. And there was another one. I just can't remember who it is. But CNC was the one that I could see myself doing long term. Mm-hmm. How come? What was, the, what was it about that particular business? Well, it wasn't a business you necessarily. Didn't any, you didn't have any experience in dry cleaning, right? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. I, I just saw my... I didn't see myself waking up at 2 in the morning to do donuts. Mm-hmm. I, um, as prof- profitable it is, I just... I didn't, my heart wasn't in it. And as far as the UPS store, I didn't want corporations telling me what to do. Because you'd have to follow, uh, follow some rules and regulations from there. Uh, from the corporate store and, and exactly kind of and even though you might have some freedom as an owner but you still got to abide by their image and what they do so i didn't want to do that so cnc i love their history i mean first of all the store is over 50 years old since the inception of glenda and ron cass and when i took it over they were just ready to retire and they were 50 years old at the time that you took it over. no since then oh, since till now okay. i believe um, and their story is fantastic. They started in their garage to took it to a retail section. And when I took it over, it was just, I love the concept of it. I love what they did, laundry only, though, however, they didn't do dry cleaning. There was outsourced at the time, and the customer would drop off their laundry. Part of it would go to speak and span for the dry cleaning, and the laundry part they did internally there. So, and then the customer would pick up the whole thing together. So it was a really beautiful thing they had. So I envisioned eventually building my own and then that everything just has come to play it's just been a beautiful thing you thought i could do that sounds interesting let's let's work it out is exactly what it was and not to mention some of their employees that had at the time they said sal we know what to do 
We've been doing this for a long time, not only here with Glenda, but also at other cleaners in the Coloma City and other places. We just know what to do. And they just literally said, build it. We know what to do. So they... So that sounds like that was another important part is having experienced staff since you didn't have any experience. I didn't have any experience. Yes. I, I just had the ability. I just knew that I had the ability to manage mm-hmm. and manage money and manage a business. Uh, as far as the concept of the laundry, I mean, they were very generous. They taught me and they were, you know, they, they were with me for at least, you know, two to three months until I learned it and felt comfortable. And then we just took it over and made it our own. Nice. And so was it the location there on Van Buren? Was that the location you took over or was it somewhere else? It was here downtown and um, right next to Boomerangs. Oh, that's right. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And that location worked well. And I said, as, as part of my, my, here, my program, I want to talk about God had a plan in so many ways. And, and to me, I'm a firm believer in looking at those opportunities that has been put in front of us. And when I say that is we're doing fine. Business was great. We're doing, you know, just right. But I had plans to grow. When Boomerang came in, it thrived downtown, but it also created a choking on the parking, mm-hmm. and it killed my business 30%. So I'm really glad that I already had a plan of building that location over in Van Buren that helped me not stay, you know, stay at a level that is just not growth potential because I have location and or bottleneck of traffic. That's funny that something as small as uh, you know, having to park 30 feet down the line rather than right in front of a business would, would be such a substantial loss. It really did. Uh, it just became an inconvenience. You know, today modern, we just, we want quick and fast. And I had customers literally said, I want to do business with you. Come get my stuff. I'm out in front of the store. There's no parking. Come grab it. And I just, our loyalty of our customers has always been there. And I just love that. And we're fortunate to still retain it. Um, so now our location on Van Buren and on, Lo- on Willow is it's just been tenfold it's been beautiful just having access so that was whenever you were looking to move or the location was that a big factor for you is as having some where you could park very close and and uh, do that kind of thing well generally you know in a business they say you know location 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 and at that time on that side of van buren I don't want to say it wasn't thriving, but I wasn't familiar with it. So I was just a fear factor of what do I do? Is that where I want to go? I looked at a couple other places. But what triggered for me was the style of building that we're in now. It has high ceilings, a lot for the heat. It had uh, plenty of square footage for us to not only sustain what we had, but to grow. And it's just been great the last, as a matter of fact, this March will be 12, 10 years we've been there. Now, whenever you uh, took over the business, there were several other dry cleaners and laundries in town, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, and so, wh- at that location, did you you didn't have dry cleaning equipment? You were sending your stuff to Spick and Span. Is that what I heard? Um, when it was downtown. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So uh-huh. when we built the location, uh, Van Buren, we just did everything. Yeah. I went full blown, invested it into the dry cleaning equipment, presses, and everything. Yeah, that was my question. So was mm-hmm. that always? Did you always know that you were going to? Uh, eventually do that when you purchased uh, the company i mean did you see say okay well here's the here's the opportunities for growth that that i can have that's another reason why i want to buy this particular business that was the you know magic ball i wanted to get did when i bought the business i want to see okay what's the future hold for this how far can i take it what's my competition like you have to know that so as i analyzed all that there were um it was Heritage Cleaners, it was uh, Spig and Span, and there was Oxford's. And, I mean, Ms. Karen at over Oxford, she was so amazing to open her doors and show me a few things, how things are done. And so the worst competition. So here I am making a huge investment knowing, okay, can Ina sustain another dry cleaners? But as part of my math and foresight i said yeah we can make this work so you're saying that a, a direct competitor uh, lets you come in and and see what how to work you know as i say that yes they did karen was unbelievable amazing she would take me a tour around her plan and say sal this is the chemicals we use this is how it works wow. and this is who you call if you want to you know do your own thing here's my consultants here's the chemical places and yeah she was very very kind to me that, that's something you can really say for enid is uh, that I mean, you can't say it in every field but mm-hmm. i mean that that's pretty impressive you have to admit that uh, oh. uh, that somebody be willing to do that yes and, and same thing as speaking span 
um, they just the same that they allow me to tour their place and their process was just different than Karen's. Um, and in just lengthy discussions, we would talk about how they make a donut, how Karen makes a donut, you know, essentially in paraphrasing, um, in comparison, there's just same clothes, but different process. Now, ultimately they, uh, those companies went away retired, I believe, right? Yes, they retired. Um, Spig and Span retired mostly because the headaches we all have is labor. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's something that's um, just always going to be a challenge in a business. Um, and they were just in business for a long time, and they just wanted to close the doors and do something else. Yeah, and that was a, a quite quite a long time ago to have labor problems. So it's not that's not uh, you know we talk about the new labor problems that we've got now. That's a whole different story. But but they you that there was even issues back then. Right? Back then, um, because it is hard hard work to do and in the environment it's you know it's warm in there it gets pretty hot so to have somebody that wants to be in there one they gotta love it and they gotta know what they're getting into or two now i'm compensating them properly for want to be there and i make an environment i love our store robert i love our employees that i have Employees have been there now for five years, three years, two years, and I just try to retain them and make it enjoyable for them to want to come to work. Now, whenever you you said you built the store on uh, Van Buren, you meaning that you remodeled it and put your equipment in and that kind of thing, right? You know, that is a dream come true right there. When I acquired that building, it was strictly four walls and a roof. That's it. And so I had to have a vision. I had to sit down and put pencil and paper and draw it out. I still have that little drawing where I laid out machines and laid out where the conveyor belts is going to go and laid out where the machine, the washing machines and so forth. Um, so I had to have a little bit of, I don't know, right and wrong guessing work. You just got to go and shoot at the dartboard. And since then, um, half the building has been remodeled three or four times. As we understand our process better, we become more efficient. So it, it's, we just become really efficient in the floor plan we are in. Well, that's good. Well, one thing that uh, my guess is, is that you probably put pencil to paper about your budget and that sort of thing, too. That's, that's something that's always come naturally to me, Robert. And, and anybody that's listening that wants to own their own business, I want to let them know that that's something you have to understand. And when I spoke at the college as well, you have to understand as a business owner how to manage money and how to read your financial statements and how to just balance a checkbook. So pen and paper to to that has always been, to me, the first thing I do, I don't even log into Facebook. I just go directly balance my checkbook every morning. It's a little self-habit I just developed and I know at the end of the day where I stand. Well... I get approached a lot of times about uh, all the time about investing in new businesses and that mm. sort of thing. And that's the first question I ask them is, is where's your business plan mm-hmm. uh, or how is this going to cash flow? And, and it's shocking to me how many people have no idea <laughs> and they just think that they've got a good idea and that's all it takes. Uh, but uh, you would probably tell us that that's, uh, that's just the very tiny first part of it, uh, that there's a lot more work that goes into it before you can open your doors. There's so much more to it. And again, there's there's other things that prepared me to be ready to cross that road when I was ready to do that. Um, there was a program in high school. It's called Junior Achievement. I love that program. I love to find ways to bring it back into Enid. It was basically you took a couple of kids and created a product. And what you did with us, and in our case, was coffee. We bought 50 pounds of coffee. We grinded it. We bagged it. We marketed it. And we sold it as a class. And then the prophets, you know, we did whatever we wanted with them. But it taught me entrepreneurial. It taught me marketing. It taught me how to talk to people. So, yes, business plan. I, when I created my business plan, I, you know, I ran it by several pair of eyes. People that I could trust for guidance, for criticism. And you got to be open to criticism because when the bank gets it, they're going to make a judgment on you and your preparedness. Mm-hmm. So you borrowed money to be able to start your business. J.D. Sarver was amazing to me. I, he, when I approached him, um, he was extremely kind with his words, and he was um, very good when we approached him for about a loan. Um, so yes, yes, I had to have a well-prepared business plan for him. Sure. Uh, banks definitely aren't just in the, in the habit of losing money, throwing money against things that they don't think are going to be successful, or with people they don't think are going to be successful. Exactly. And they might have a good business plan, but you know, so the person. Where did you learn to write a business plan? 
You know, that's a very good question. I think uh, looking back, I think it's just research. Um, I just looked on the internet at that time, just looked for other ones. I printed them out. I printed 15 of them, I kid you not. And then I just studied all of them and merged one together that made sense, my version of it. And again, I proposed it in front of people that uh, I could trust their um, their knowledge, their experience. And it, you had here uh, Mr. Williams. And he said, he said, Sal, he didn't say Sal. He's like, I'm not a very smart person, but I often listen to people. And that's always been my thing as well. You got to be open minded to listen to criticism or advice. You got to ask the right people. If you don't know how to do something, trust those that do. Well, that, that uh, is great advice, and he's obviously a very successful businessman. And mm-hmm. I, I would probably disagree that he's not very smart. I think he's I a very smart guy, but he's probably been a little humble there. Uh, but, uh, uh, well, so after you decided to, you got your business built and all that, uh, and then a couple of companies went out of, you know, quit the business and did other things, uh, then certainly that was a model of growth for you, right? Yes. That was... Customers had to go somewhere. There was less companies providing a dry cleaning service to. And generally, um, I, I'm horrible at marketing. So I've never really done any marketing. So I tried uh, to do a little bit, but I figured that people had to go somewhere. So they're going to go dancing around through the other cleaners and eventually settle something that the company they liked the best. And, and I hear there's a lot still where they've tried competitors and Robert my key factor is to when that product is done and hung up it needs to look good and our mindset with our employees is is they have that understanding of the quality we expect so our growth factor has been purely on and just putting a good product in customer service and people will go where they go and they will come back where they do receive the best value for their dollar sure it seems like you know outside of Cost is probably a little bit of a factor for some people that, that they worry about. Uh, but uh, um, once somebody lands on a place like a dry cleaners, I mm-hmm. think they probably stay until they get mad, right? They generally do. And I think that's exactly it. People don't make changes until something horribly happens. And then they, they can't get a solution to their problem and they do move. Um, so for us, I pay a lot of attention. I, I like to listen to the customer complaints of other places or even of ours. You know, of course, we're not perfect. We make an occasional mistake. Something doesn't go well. And I'm extremely grateful at random times where people bring something back. Hey, so I could do a little better job on this. And I love that. And customers are able to do that because we're easy to communicate with. What are common issues that, that you know, that when I say common, I just mean uh, that if there is an issue, what mm-hmm. uh, what would be something common that someone be, would be upset about? Well, sure. Um, for example, um, generally people bring us items because they got a stain on it. Not only because it just needs to be washed and pressed, but they bring them back to say, hey, Sal, I was hoping to get this a little bit better off. So we do a redo and process it again. And we've had a good following because they're very successful with that. And I have a network of really support system that I call and send pictures in on a garment and say, Hey, my consulting, Chris, Chris, I have this item. I've tried this. It's not coming out. What else should I do? And so therefore we've had a lot of success with just figuring it out. Well, I can, I can tell you from experience that uh, I'm not a very, when I wear a tie, I'm not a very good eater and I get stuff on my ties right. all the time. And ties are notorious because they're silk. They're silk. Most of them are silk. And so they're, they're notorious for not having a, uh, uh, not being able to be cleaned easily, right? Mm-hmm. They're not. The silk just tends to hang on to that stain. Yeah. And it's not easy. And, uh, and y'all have, uh, not all of them, mm-hmm. I can't say all of them, but you're very honest with me at the beginning. And you say, listen, yeah. we're, we'll do what we can. And and, uh, and you, more often than not, you, you get the stain out. So I've, I've always been appreciative of that. Thank you. And we have good following. And one thing I like is being upfront. I like talking to the customer. And they tell me, or my customer, my employees upfront, then we, we have a process that allows us to catch those things. Um, and I spend a lot of time back there. So if you don't see me in the front, it's because I am literally back there washing, pre-staining, doing you know my role as to making sure we do those a good job. So the, customer, the, the quality and the customer service, those are the two big keys that you think that has been for your success. Absolutely. One, the quality. Um, I, I, we have meetings and I talk to my employees about what we expect. And when we see a garment, on the finished side and I'm not happy with it I bring it back and they're they're receptive they're like oh oh yeah we overlooked that so we have a thing in place but they don't get upset if they have to redo something and it just 
they know my expectations. They call him Salisms at work. Sal is just always picky. He's just his expectations are high, and I say, well, this is what keeps us all employed, guys. And so when the product is done and the customer shows up, it's too late to fix it. So that's why I have expectations to look really good before it gets put up. The other half is just this: <coughs> having an ability to communicate and having the ability to just have you come in and say, Sal. This tie has a stain. Hey, Sam, please work on the on the neck, um, our collars, or, or this is a delicate item. I've had people, you know, literally hang on to their items till they see me, because it's a sixty-year-old sweater, um, or or is it just something they like in high-end clothing? We got a lot of high-end clothing that people like, and you know, they spend X amount of dollars on a shirt, so they want us to take the extra precaution. And to us, literally to us, Robert. I don't care if it's a $200 shirt or it's a Georgia brand shirt. We treat them all the same. So with a higher expectation. Well, I, uh, that's always really appreciative. And one thing uh, that I always note, always have noticed too is is that you're there most of the time. And so uh, what has it been like being so hands-on? Is that important, do you think, for the success of your business as well? I like to think it is a big key factor. I'm well involved. Um, I just think any business, the owner has to be there. You can have a good manager, but I think there's, there'll be a topping point where either A, they stop caring or they just can't absorb it all. It can't be everywhere. So me as, as being there, I mean, literally this week from 5 a.m. to 7 p.m. And I have easily 60 to 70 hours a week, but it's not work. I love what we do. I, I'm tired at the end of the day, but it's my business. I'm living the American dream. So being engaged in it all, Robert, it's... It's not work. I'm there all the time. Were you surprised that you would like dry cleaning so much? I mean, it wasn't something you had experience in. So was that shocking to you? Or or, or is it more about just owning your own business and being proud of what you've built? It's a combination of everything, yes. Um, I think the biggest thing I love the most is just people. I love being up front. And in the back, I love being part of a something great. I mean, building, I, I laid out of the floor plan. Recently, I've, I've done a $50,000 expansion of some newer machines, newer models, bigger and greater kind of a thing because the old stuff is eight, just 10 years old. So being part of it all is, is the risk factor, is, is the adrenaline of, of making decisions. And the bottom stops with me. And the buck stops with me. I mean, I make the calls. And so... The whole mushroom of the business concept, you know, from inventory keeping, from hiring employees to make sure the product goes out, is just the American dream. I just love it. So you ultimately, uh, you had the business on Van Buren, you expanded mm-hmm. to have a, a, a shop on Willow as well, yes. on the northwest side of town. Was that because that was where a lot of your customers were coming from? That's a great question. I lost a lot of sleep making that decision. Do we open a second location um, off-site? I noticed that a lot of the clients were coming to Van Buren past the other two cleaners. They lived on the west side. So I was thinking to myself, okay, is it time to open that location? Because there's more, there's more labor. There's a storefront you got to open. There's just some more expenses, overheads. So I was, you know, I just, is it time? I just lost a lot of sleep on it. But it's been a great addition. It's been well-received. It's been four years, I believe, since that store opened. And we have that store sometimes does alone what the Van Buren does. So and it's been real-received. So the, the main benefit of having that additional uh, storefront is just being where being close to where your customers are. Accessibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just having that, that point where people can just drop off on their way to work on their way home. So it's been a great location for us. And of course, we shuttle clothes back and forth every day. And it does require an extra day for processing instead of the next day's two days. Um, but people plan ahead. Yeah, that's good. Well, what, uh, uh, what advice can you give to somebody that uh, is interested in starting their own business? What would be your biggest piece of advice? <sighs> biggest piece of advice I can tell anybody to start their own business is make sure you have a support system if possible. Uh, for example, my wife has always been very supportive, whether I'm not home because I'm working 18 hours a day or helping me sign the bottom line or just being supportive in, in any aspects of it. But that's been a key factor for me, having you know the spousal support. Secondly, it's just being engaged. 
just know that every decision you make, whether small or large, it goes into the big picture of running the business. Um, you got to know your financials. To me, I, I, I keep saying that over and over and over to anybody I talk to and give advice. You have to understand your checkbook. Um, have the delayed gratification. Be okay not making a paycheck for a while. Figure it out. Um, and it's exactly that I tell my wife and I, we talk about when we had nothing, we had very little. And, you know, in, red, in comparison now, um, you know, it's, things are better. But just giving people advice is just realizing that it's the whole picture. Well, that, that leads us into uh, our first question from uh, that I received and whenever I asked for questions specifically about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Heather's wife will ask, did you prepare for any specific length of time that you were going to have low or little, little or no profit? Yes. Um, gosh, that's a, that's a good answer. A good question on that. We were prepared in this. I love, I'm hesitating because I get emotional about this. Um, the same month that we opened the store in Van Buren is the same month my wife quit working to go back to school full time. So I was like, good Lord, this has to work. This has to work. Uh, this is our only paycheck coming in. So we lived in a small budget. We downsized. We sold our nicer home. We downsized to one of my small rentals that I do have and just did. We have the store of the peanut butter sandwiches and Kool-Aid. You know, you just got to be prepared to live in a smaller budget. Make some sacrifices, it sounds like. Exactly that. One thing I noticed in law school was is that a lot of people would take their student loan money from law school and buy these really nice cars. Uh, or they'd live in really nice houses while they were in law school. And mm-hmm. then they were pretty surprised when they got out of law school with a $120,000 student loan and their mm-hmm. job was only going to be paying them $45,000 a year at the time, and mm-hmm. uh, which might be a little bit more now. But entry-level legal jobs, unless, you work, unless you're one of the 20 kids that go to a big law firm, uh, you know, an entry level legal job is is really yeah. only about fifty thousand a year, which you know, with one hundred twenty thousand loans, is not much. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, you know, willing being willing to make those sacrifices both in college and afterwards, and not uh, is uh, it sounds like a real key. It is not to mention, you know, I didn't have cash to pay at all. I had a debt in, over my head, um, and those payments need to be turned in at the end of the month. Um, so every more reason for me to be there continuously running the business efficiently as possible and making sure I paid myself a reasonable salary so I could survive on that. And many times I didn't and we just had to figure it out. Mm-hmm. We just did. Uh, and so, uh, uh, was that scary for you at the time? I mean, what, did you worry that you might have to do something else or that your wife would have to quit school and get a job? Or was there any time that you were concerned about that? Or was it, uh, did you have enough in plan, or planned, saved, and in place to be able to, to work it out? No, and it was, it was a risk. I mean, it was, it was a fear factor. It was just, oh my gosh, I, I, don't, I hope this works out. I don't know what I'm going to do. So, no, we didn't have enough reserves. We, we planned for a little bit, but you just never know when something breaks down or, or it, eats, it eats up the savings quickly. Um, it was just know that starting a business um, as successful as I wanted to be, as, as, as grow the business as much as I wanted, I just knew it would take time and it would take managing what comes in through the front goes out the back pretty quick. Yeah, makes sense. Well, is there uh, uh, was there anything in particular? Chad Davis asked, was there anything in particular that made you want to go into business for yourself? But you talked about that a little bit. But well, just the, I think that part is is I'm saying our blood a little bit, and on my dad's side, I think almost every sibling has their own business. Um, I think just from as a kid, always watching financial movies, it's always been my attraction. Um, Wall Street and uh, the Michael Keaton TV show in the 80s. I was always been fascinated by financial movies and just owning. One thing I can say, Robert, and I love to give accolades to the Cassis who started this business, is I bought my business. I still want to make my own product. I still want to do something else. And, and I, would, I don't know what's next after this. Um, Did you ever consider renaming it? Or was that purchasing, was that name important for you when you purchased it? I I wanted to keep the name. Um, I I don't care. If, I didn't want to change it because of the history and the uh, and, and the foundation that it had. So in established clientele. As a matter of fact, when when I bought it, people didn't know I bought it. I was just a new front counter help. 
I didn't want to change the name. I didn't want anything quality different. People scared when it changes hands. So that was important for you when you uh, the 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 history of quality and people knowing that mm-hmm. uh, that was that was part of the purchase price essentially, right? Yeah, and again, my respects to them. They they started something out of their garage and moved it to a storefront. I just didn't want to end there, and so I was able to take it from what it was to even further. And, and I just love love their, that that history of it. Have you mentored other uh, people that are going into business? No, I have not. Um, and I think that's something that I want to return, pass on the baton, essentially, is people that have helped me um, just through a listening ear. I mean, ultimately, it's my choice what I decide to do. I spend too much money or make a bad choice. But the mentoring part has been unbelievably beneficial to me. So, you know, anybody who wants to, you know, just ring up, make a call, I'd love to spend time with them as well. Yeah. Uh you know that, like I said, when people call me and I ask them about their plan, mm-hmm. lots of people have good ideas, but very few people have good plans. No, <laughs> so, uh, do uh, uh, would you consider that an essential part of whether or not something's going to be successful or not? Not necessarily a written business plan, mm-hmm. but an actual, just a plan. I mean, any sort of plan at all. You, you got to know that the person. Any business you go into, you got to have yes, the elements that goes into it. I mean, do you have the, the with the product? ins and outs out of it are the full knowledge of it um i mean i didn't have the full knowledge of the dry cleaning but i knew enough of the pressing and i knew enough of the environment of the dry cleaning world to jump into it um not to in addition i tell people this is my number one advice really who doesn't know where to go with it write down your five most critical talents that you have that will give you a guidance where it should go. I love people. I love talking. I love numbers. Um, I just love the business plan factor. And I love owning the combination of it all. So I tell people, just write down your five traits. And that kind of will guide you where you want to go. So loving people and, and that kind of thing, that, that led you to retail, it sounds like. Yes. Instead of being in a back room crunching numbers for a different company. And it's ironic, Robert. It's ironic. In 10th grade, I was the the kid in the corner. They'll look at me because I wouldn't melt. I was just <laughs> such an introvert. What are the biggest... Do you see anybody... What would you see as a, the biggest mistake a young businessman or a small businessman can make? Rushing into things. Don't rush into things. I think in my situation, I, I took my time, even with CNC... Several phone calls, several visits, um, making sure that's what I wanted to do long term because it was a huge investment. Um, not only my time, you know, but money. Um, at that time, we didn't have a lot of money. I mean, I started this business with $10,000, which we had scrounged. So that was just a lot of capital for our age. And so I, the biggest advice really in addition to that is just take your time. Do your homework. Kyle Williams mentioned, or whenever I interviewed him several months ago, he mentioned that uh, that he's really surprised how little people know about the market that mm. they want to enter, and uh, that that was a, a huge factor is is being able to know your market and what mm. if your product is needed for that market. Uh, is that do you see that as an issue as well? Well, that's what some, one part I did analyze at that time. You know, there were additional cleaners. Is there room for another one? Uh, what am I going to do different than they are? Um, and, and again, I saw them as maybe purchasing them, buying them out. Or they, luckily, they just closed their doors and they just left three of us. So knowing the market, yes, was a factor for me. At one point, I believe somebody said there was like eight to ten dry cleaners 20 years ago in town. Everybody did it, dry cleaning. Um, now there's such a less demand for it. So that attrition has happened. Um, so I just know your market. Absolutely. That's the analysis I did at that time. And it worked. Well, and that, that leads me to my next question is, is that obviously markets change. And so over the last 20 years, the market for dry cleaning has changed uh, from the outside, at least it mm-hmm. looks like it appears. Uh, people are wearing suits and dress up clothes less often. You yes. know, uh, even uh, lawyers that you don't, uh, lawyers 25 years ago were always in a suit now that only if they're going to court generally. And so mm-hmm. uh, has that been a, that market shift away from dry cleaning as much as that been uh, uh, 
has that created a need for innovation for you guys or, or a different market shift for you guys? Uh, that's a kind of a two-part answer. The first part is, yes, absolutely has changed. One, the dynamics of COVID has changed us dramatically. For a while, nobody could gather. There was no weddings, no traveling, no, not even going to church. So people got dressed up less. Um, so in also the fabrics, there's a lot of fabrics now you can take wash and wear. Um, but people that are, do dry cleaning and like to look good have that personality trait and they bring it in. And we've been pretty busy sustaining again with our quality. Second part of that answer is we've been chasing a lot of commercial accounts. We do have several large commercial accounts that allows us to sustain uh, our business growth with the investment I just did um, to diversify. And so a good chunk of our sales is really related to commercials, um, hospitals, doctor offices, and uh, some other large accounts we have. Okay. So you've been able to uh, diversify and, and move into other segments of a similar business that uh, has been able to sustain you and keep you successful. Yes. And I had to do the same drawing plan. This is something totally different that I wasn't doing 15 years ago. So I had to go back and paper and say, is this feasible? Is this worthwhile? The investment is, is the market share? Is there demand for it? Um, while the dry cleaning and pressing, you know, is reduced. Um, but yet through attrition of other cleaners, we have increased that market share, but it's still, it's not what it used to be. What's been the biggest challenge owning a retail business, Anita? Um, in my industry right now, still, it's just always been labor. This, I mean, just labor so it's been. Talk about that a little bit. Why is that difficult to find, uh, to find labor? You know, there's a lot of answers to that. And, and some of them might be real. Some of them would be made up in my head, you know, as to why people don't want to go out and work. Um, I get frustrated with people that come in and asking for, for work. Um, they're... I was trying to be cautious with my words on this because I get people just get out of bed and come in and turn an application. You know, presentation is everything. So um, why? Well, let me ask you that. Why do you think that is? Because I see that a lot too. And, and some of them are people that I do really believe want to work, but mm -hmm. they show up and they're, they're not dressed appropriately or they're not. Uh, do you think that that's a culture thing or what, where do you think that comes from? Or just nobody taught them that they need to look nice when they come in or, or what, what, why do you think that is? You know, maybe that's what it is. Nobody told them, that, hey, you should you know, be presentable when you go apply for a job and not just take the folded up application out of your back pocket in front of me and say, here it is. And not to mention, people are only leaving the last names, not even the full names on the application. But again, I don't understand that. I just do know that I'm having, I have expectations. When an applicant comes in, I, I tell them, I can teach you our menu. I can teach you everything that we do here. And even with my expectations of customer service, but I can't teach you work ethic. Mm -hmm. I can't teach you. You have to come bring in through the door with you. That's, that's a good good point you know even the kids when we say kids these days like mm -hmm. we're so old we're both you mm -hmm. know a relatively young man and uh, I at least I consider ourselves to be that way but mm -hmm. uh, uh, even with my son like you know telling him whenever he was applying for jobs as a 16 year old and I said well what are you gonna wear to your job he's like, I don't know and he's got sweats on yes. and, stuff, and I'm like you can't do that and uh, uh, but uh, you know just just the difference and and uh, that was something that even though I didn't come from a family that mm. knew a whole lot, I, somebody along the way must have told me that uh, that you need to do things a certain way. A certain and, way. And, uh, uh, and so, uh, um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure what about the culture has changed. Yeah. That, uh, and, and I do, you're, you're probably right that there are some people that do come in and, and aren't really looking for a job. But I do think that there are people that are looking for jobs. It's just uh, that they're not necessarily... Uh, they weren't taught that work mm -hmm. ethic or they weren't taught that uh, need for a positive presentation at the outset. And, and I am, you know, we're right now we only have six employees. So when the front counter person, in my opinion, also makes or breaks you, uh, that face, if it's not me, I, I want that employee to be extremely presentable. I want us to have that charisma to ability to dissolve an issue. If, if we do something wrong, and, and fix it, um, or just in everyday communication. So, how have you dealt with those challenges in finding people that you that meet your standards that you want to have uh, for quality and for presentation? Uh, have you had to raise uh, raise your salary, or you know how much you pay people? Is that, so has that solved it? Substantially, or I had to compete with the market, which is you know that's what 
we're supposed to do, I guess, just compete. And so I've had to raise my wages substantially. I'm talking 30% over just two years ago. Um, and yet I haven't raised the prices. So I'm just absorbing that additional labor cost. So what I do also is I make longer interviews. I want to get to know the people that I'm trying to hire. I really, I do second interviews. Today, I, I might say, can you give me 30 minutes of your time? Can we sit and talk in this so you can understand? I, I tell them, I'm going to scare you first. This is the expectations of this job. And then I'll tell you why you do want to work for me. At the end, I say, these are the perks. There's no drama here. And I, I just make a list of positives as to why CNC is a great place to work for. Do you... With the, you know, we, we, I think they call it the big resignation or something mm-hmm. like that, that, that uh, people have quit their jobs because they weren't happy with certain mm. things. Uh, uh, have you seen anything in particular that people have said that besides being paid more, I mean, mm-hmm. everybody wants to be paid more, uh, but besides that, have you seen something that uh, any particular parts of a job or uh, a working environment that people are finding more important now than they might have? 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Well, that almost touches on a personal level. Um, I left a job because the supervisor was very difficult, extremely difficult. I could never make them happy. I would do the job as expected. Um, But there was always something they were unpleased about. And I think it was just that person's inability to lead. So... I, I, people come in and asking for work and they just tell me, oh, hey, I, yeah, I hate working here. I want to change jobs because the environment is horrible. The lead, the manager, they don't know what they're doing. They're stories. So then I try to make sure I provide that environment. And I, Robert, we have a good time. That's why I think I'm able to retain the employees that I have. Is One is because I am a boss. They know I can turn the boss hat around anytime. But I tell them I'm I'm equal. I'm an employee. I will clean toilets. I will get on my knees and clean the the baseboards, and I will do everything. Yeah, uh, that that's really important. I think to to show that you're willing, you're not going to ask them to do something that you wouldn't do. Exactly. Uh, and you know, and that's one thing that for for me that I've just seen a big shift over the last five or six years, just since mm-hmm. there has been such a big demand for workers. That if somebody, if you know, if a good worker is a, a messes up once or twice i mean uh that you know people not being yelled at and just mm. being uh nicely just just a general attitude of having a yes. positive work environment i mean it certainly cha- changed the way that i manage and uh over yes. the last 10 years because uh, i don't think anybody would work for me now that worked for me 10 oh. years ago uh and uh so uh, we're only good as our employees are you know there's as much as effort they're willing to put out so I'm very fortunate. I'd love to brag on the people that I have now. I've recently reacquired an employee that had quit. And to your point, they left the job they left me for because they weren't happy. And I heard that even their kids have noticed that the last week that she is so much more happier mm-hmm. as she used to be before she left me. But again, I persuade her to come back because I had higher wages and I'm trying to figure out additional benefits to provide like a big corporation does. Mm-hmm. Um, I give bonuses. I offer medical insurance. I offer paid vacation now. Um, and I thought that's a necessary anyways, just to retain good quality people. Yeah. Well, that I definitely see that as being a big shift, especially in small businesses is mm-hmm. that having uh, to uh, offer uh, potential employees something that they may not have had before right. uh, and, uh, and I think that's across the board and I, I can't say it's a good thing or a bad thing I can right. definitely say it, it cuts into the bottom line it some. cuts in the bottom uh, line but uh, retraining or hiring and training new employees also is expensive too that, that I think a lot of uh, business people don't really take that into consideration they say mm-hmm. well I'm just going to get somebody else but don't realize the productivity for the first several yeah. weeks is, is going to be way down the time that they have to spend and it's better to keep decent employees and, and pay them well and fairly and mm-hmm. and uh, than it is to uh, to hire be hiring new people every few weeks and, and you just nailed it i mean it hits the bottom line so uh, at the end of the year um like i take a, a reasonable paycheck and what it's left it goes for investment and and just better everybody else and that way i'm not over carrying debt um but it does take the bottom line, but I've learned that it's so well worth investing on these employees, their family. We spend so much time together and they're happy. Robert, I love my business and the employees that I have, they love being there. 
Um, occasionally, it's only about one or two positions that rotate um, because, you know, people like change or they're tired of what they're doing. I've hired college kids and those college kids have moved on. And so then it's time to fill it up again. But generally, everybody loves what we're working there. What's the next step for? Do you have any uh, Do you have any goals or plans for CNC coming up or you kind of? Uh, where you're at you want to be right now you know that's the that's the question that i don't know how to answer because i want growth i want more as a business owner you want to keep growing doing a great thing especially now our business segment it's growing drastically i mean it's 30 percent of our sales is doing really well so do i want to break off i don't know i i'm at a point right now that i'm finishing this stage first this stage that i'm doing right now is building this this new section of our business. Um, so ultimately, um, again, I, I do rental houses as well. I want to put, put my hands in something else as well. I like building things. So I don't know what I'm going to get into if I sell CNC or I'm going to just keep it long term. My heart is in it right now. I enjoy going to work every day. And um, five years from now, it might be three locations. I don't know. Do you see any other changes in the uh, significant changes in the laundry business or in the uh, dry cleaning business uh, coming over the next 10 years or so? Yesterday, I sat down with one of my consultants. And yes, um, of course, I understand my small world of dry cleaning. He deals with massive plants in Oklahoma City and bigger cities where they actually have like million-dollar washers, million-dollar systems. Um he elaborated in some of that stuff and there's more chemicals, more treatment coming in that makes our industry a lot better. Um, there's just changes. There's always changes coming through. And, but some of the old stuff always works well. So we're just, we're, we're changing as we're going. Like now I added some new tankless hot water heaters. That's something I've never had before. And so we're going to have instant hot water and not having to wait, not run out. So that's that's one issue that can happen at a, a facility like yours as you run out of hot water? Yeah, I have three large hot water heaters. And one thing we've done is um, we process what needs to be processed first. You know, not everything has to be washed with hot water. So now I decided to make some different investments, different changes, just to keep up with the additional commercial service that requires it. What uh, you mentioned that you started out mainly doing laundry and then mm -hmm. sent out the dry cleaning. So mm -hmm. explain, do you still do a lot of laundry? Like, how does that work? I've never brought something mm -hmm. in to be laundered, I don't think. But Well, the dry cleaning, it does require a whole different process. It just requires a whole machine that does, uh, It's a, I like to describe it as chemically engineered solvent. It's not water. It's washed similar like you would a washing machine with water, but it's a chemical. Um, so it just it's so different. I mean, your suits, your silks, um, it retains your blacks blacker. It stays the, the deep colors will retain it better in dry cleaning. So it's a whole different world on that. And the chemicals changes are different. I mean, what I'm using now, I think it's only by the last ten years old. The new technology. Well, what I mean is, is do people just drop off just their general laundry and then oh. can pick it up? Oh, oh, that yeah, we have a small portion of that, which is you know people that work. Same as I do, 14 hours. I don't want to spend three hours washing at home or at the laundromat. So we do a lot of what's called wash and fold laundry that comes in, and we just charge by the pound on that. So you just bring it in, and mm -hmm. you, you weigh it, and then uh, they get a bill for it, I guess? Yes. So, well, that, that, the reason why I'm asking is, is because mm -hmm. I'd heard about that. I didn't ever think about that as a dry oh. cleaner, you know. And it seems to me like that may be something that may grow in the future because people are so valuable that they're, people are valuing their time a lot differently now than they were at 10 mm. or 15 years ago. And so I wonder if that's something that may end up growing over time. Uh, possibly. Um, we get a lot of families that say we both hate doing laundry. Yeah. Here you go. I mean, perfect timing for that question. Just yesterday, I received 12 trash bags full of stuff that neither the wife nor the husband like doing laundry. So they treat themselves to a year. They just gather it all up, bring it in. We fold it. We wash it. We separate by colors. We separate by textures. And we put the kid stuff on one side. Very professional. I mean, that is exactly what we do. And we put it back presentable and they get it back. So either A, for those people that want to treat themselves, we've gotten... People buy gift certificates for their kids for Christmas because, hey, they need a break. Then they just want to take it in. Um, or just that person from the windmills or a busy business person, too, that comes in. They're building a house. They don't, they're living on a trailer. They don't want to go to the laundromat. Um, and so they bring in their wash and fold 
whites and everything and we just process it okay well any anything else that you want to uh, talk about or, or say about your, your uh, career as an entrepreneur and a small businessman here in Eden? one thing that i want to talk about is is how unbelievable the community has been support system i either i've been extremely lucky or I've just done a lot of good things right, right, right. And by that I mean is that um, even my wrongs have been wrecks. I've learned from them. Um, I think I, the community, the people that I've touched, rubbed elbows with, seeked advice from um, during my time at Advanced Food, um, during the CASAs, my customer base, has just been a win-win. I mean, I just, everything's been unbelievably blessed, lucky, how I've been able to communicate and receive um, just a successful business. Well, great. Well, I uh, you're living the true American dream uh, from an immigrant that went to California and to uh, uh, Oregon and then to small town Enid, Oklahoma, uh, owning your own business, employing uh, several yeah. people in the community, uh, wife and great family, and and uh, you know it's just it's a really cool story. And I'm glad you were uh, I'm glad you told it for us today. Thank you for letting me share. Um, you know, people just don't get to hear people's version of theirs yeah. and, and allow me to tell my story. And, and there's just so much more detail that the falls, there's some shortcomings and there've been great successes. But overall, I just, I enjoy what we're doing. Well, good. Well, well, thank you very much for thank doing you, Robert. this. Thank you, Robert. And uh, it's always a delight to see you when I bring in my stuff. Thank you. And, and, uh, and I just appreciate you. Time to see you. Thank All you. Right, thanks.